Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Today, I wanted to talk to you about something uh, maybe important, but do you use a VPN? I don't use a VPN. I probably almost never do, but I'm kind of figuring out now like how many pieces of information uh, routers pick up and your ISP picks up about your traffic. And I'm trying to finally figure out what HTTPS is good for. Like HTTP exists, like what we remember in the 90s, typing that into Netscape, trying to get to our first web domain. Or we have HTTPS now, which is the secure hypertext transport protocol. And I guess that encrypts the data that's transmitted across that protocol. Prior to that, HTTP had just an open protocol where you could still read the contents of data that was being routed to that page. So at least, I guess with HTTPS, that data is encrypted. So like your banking data is encrypted or your payment data is encrypted and it can't be siphoned off in some man in the middle attack, I guess, apparently, or unless that didn't work that time. That's sort of how hacks always work. Oh, yeah, it's protected, but except for that thing that it didn't work for. We weren't protected for that. Oh, okay. Well, shoot. So if you uh, are interested, I think a VPN is sort of an interesting way where you can create a virtual private network is what it stands for. Many of them are paid. Many of them seem to be free. Uh, I think the, probably the best one to jump into if you're interested is something like Tor or the Tor browser or the Tor router. Uh, when they talk about that, I think it's like a, a virtual private network system that kind of uh, like it jumps you around to different IP addresses before it finally spits you out somewhere. And what that allows you to do is sort of anonymize the, the registry information that would be uh, tracked about your connection to the Internet uh, at that router. Really interesting. I've been learning all sorts of stuff about all the things that it tracks and sort of where it logs the router information. Wild to know about. But, uh, man, it makes you think a little bit about all the different things that you're tracked on over the Internet everywhere crazy stuff it's a weird world that we're going to live in over the uh, or a weird world we will live in over the next 15 to 20 years like the last 15 to 20 haven't been so you can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com you can check out some of my photo books on amazon I think you can look up uh, billy newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film on the desert on surrealism on camping some cool stuff over there but uh but this week i wanted to talk about some of the the past truck travel stuff that we've done and uh and i think you're, you're the guy who's inspired me to get a truck at first man like for the long gotta time, have a truck gotta have a truck uh strangely yeah. though most most of my road trip travel has been in a sedan <laughs> even even still in the camry and the old camry man uh, but yeah, but that Camry was legendary. It was legend. It was absolutely legendary. But for today's episode, what I was thinking about doing was kind of breaking down a couple of the, the stories in the past that we had about doing some overland stuff, some overland like travel. If you mm-hmm. can call it overland, I don't know. That's like a heavy word. I think that's a modern word, right? Like this term. Have yeah. you seen that around like overland? When people yeah, talk I've about seen that. a lot of that. Yeah, it seems to be kind of the trendy sort of rich guy word to say four wheeling. You know, like I'm going, I'm going mudding. You know, you don't take a Land Rover mudding or four four wheeling or something. You take that overlanding, overland excursioning. Oh yeah, it's always that. But uh, but I think that's kind of a funny part of it. But I see like a ton of that stuff. I got into that like I got into that stuff back in 2011, like the overland travel. Have you ever seen like the magazine yeah. Overland Journal? Is that an active uh, magazine? 
I think so. Yeah, I don't know. It's like sort of a niche. It's a niche category, like this whole thing. Okay. So it's where it's like that thing you'd never find it unless you looked for it. But it's kind of it's interesting. There's tons of stuff out there like that. But that's one of the first ones that I ran into. Uh, and that's okay. like that's when I had like the Camry and I was back in college and stuff. And it, you know, it, it, that's when I first really wanted to get <laughs> because I couldn't get a Land Rover from the 70s. <laughs> I really wanted to get like a roof rack and a top box. I was I was like set on that because if I could get that, that was like that was like my that was my version of making like a Camry into an overland vehicle, you know, because I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get into this, but I'm 20 and I've got one hundred and thirty eight bucks. So what can, I, what can I work out with that? Yeah, <laughs> but that was a part of it. So, yeah, I remember setting up like um, like setting up the, the or the, the the roof, the rooftop or the top box, you know. Man, yeah. those are those were like super handy, like, and that was great on the on the Camry when I had it. But that was all was, kind of from. What was yours? You had like that that tool top box. Yeah, it was a. Yeah. Uh, uh, I forget what it is now. I think there was like the excursion that I had at a time, and then there was like the summit model that I had at no, another you did, time. You didn't have the Overland model. Didn't I missed out on the Overland <laughs> model? Bummer. Both of these were like old man. They were like you know I don't know the early nineties, maybe late yeah, maybe yeah. early mid nineties or something. That's like when the the plastic was produced. That's when that thing was called new, and now yeah, it was just sitting on my on my equally old aged car <laughs> going, going around a drive those things hold their value like crazy i picked mine up both of mine i think now three of them in total i picked three of those top boxes up oh wow on craigslist it was for different cars and stuff i got a little fat one for the for the camry i had a i had one for the truck and then and we got one for marina crv or when yeah, i say the yeah. truck i mean the, the old forerunner which we'll get into that later too but uh that long one on the old forerunner so i bought like a, a few of them and i'd always bought them on use like on craigslist or something right like uh, yeah yeah uh and because like new they're like five or six hundred bucks to get into those yeah, accessories they're, uh, for your cars. they're not cheap man yeah it's yeah it's super frustrating and so even when they're used they're they're still floating in like for good ones or for like stuff from the 2000s that's sort of the more modern clamping systems mm -hmm. uh, or you know when they actually made it they made it better you know where you could, you could put it on take it on and off your car without putting together like a bunch of plates and little wing nut <laughs> yeah, brackets yeah. made out of Something plastic. Something you don't have to spend the whole afternoon doing. Yeah, it's great because it would always like you know it mess up. You'd you'd get stuck in some situation like that when, you, like I think one time we had to move. We like it was you and I, Robert and Scott, and we had to like move the, that that top box we're talking about to the oh yeah to the rav right, and we were going on yeah, that snowboard did. trip, so we had to like pack. We had to put it on and like put like a bunch of snowboards on or something, and it was just mm -hmm. like it was just like snow and slush and it's kind of raining you've got like a, a, a you don't even have a headlamp you've just got like a light kind of crimped under your shoulder and neck as you're kind of trying to twist this wing nut back and forth to make sure that this <laughs> thing's tight and in the right spot it was such a pain man it was so awful so after that they made like more simple clamp systems that work better but man those are like still like 300 250 like the the low end range like the Pick stuff that's up like used yeah the, the stuff broken I just sold one for like eighty five that was that had like a big chunk missing out of it. Oh jeez. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it's like it's a gold man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least out here, I don't know. It, it seems like in Eugene, in Southern Oregon, it was a lot harder. I think I had one and never sold. But uh, it seemed like in Eugene and in Corvallis and Portland, or like you know where that 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 string of that Subarus and Topstocks, yeah, right. Where <laughs> <It's laughs> it exists. All those all those overlanders out there. Mm -hmm. But that was my foray into, into understanding what overlanding was because I was interested in like that overland journal. And so I'd like watch, I'd watch some of the stuff that was coming out in that. And it was just really all stuff, all equipment that was unattainable. Like you look at like the sweet trucks. 
Oh my gosh, uh-huh. man. There's so many cool like land or um the land like the Toyota Land Cruisers. But they yeah. the set that they never built in America. Have you seen those? Oh yeah, they're awesome. They're so cool. Yeah, like all the all the ones that Australia got and like South Africa got. Those are like the mm-hmm. coolest cars ever. Like <laughs> you see them no, all over out there. Yeah, they're so great. I would love to have them. Yeah, just this sweet diesel left-hand drive <laughs> or right-hand drive like yeah, Land Cruiser truck. Like there's the uh the Toyota Trooper. If anybody's listening and they google that, it's like this this crazy truck that they made for the military, that Toyota made for the military that's like a troop carrier. But it's a Land Cruiser, but it's just got like a long back end and it's kind of squared off so you can you can fit two benches in there to load 12 guys or <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever silly amount it is in the back. But it just looks like, oh, man, that'd be the coolest like camper. You know, you take that thing. It's like um, it's like the FJ40. You see like the old ones that look like the the Willys Jeep. Have you seen that one? Oh, around? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and that was kind of like the uh, or one of the Jeep models that they well, yeah, Toyota's Japanese, right? And I don't, yeah. Or of course yeah. they are, but I don't know where else they they sold like their equipment to for like military use. But it seemed like the FJ and the Land Cruiser line is used like with the as a military vehicle all over the world. Have you seen that? Like it's the. I, I'm like, not really familiar with that. No. Or not like a military vehicle, but like like we have a Jeep, and then we have a tank, but we have the Jeep. Like they have, they have the Toyota, they have a Land Cruiser or okay. like a, a Hilux, right. right? Like your old truck, your old pickup truck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. That old pickup yeah, truck. The, the SR, uh, yeah, the 1980s, man. It was the best, you're man. talking about my old one. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so, That's but it was. I won't get rid of it. I still have it. <laughs> it's the coolest truck, but I remember <laughs> learning about like, or it was just weird when I found out like about Americanizations. Where in America, that's mm-hmm. called a pickup. Like, that's that's a pickup truck. But out of the country, the truck is called a Hilux. Have you seen that? No. It's a, yeah, the international version, the international name for the pickup was the Toyota Hilux. And it's like, it's, okay. it's got that, like, emblem in it. Yeah. So they'd sell these Toyota pickup trucks, like, Saudi Arabia, or, like, ISIS, man. Like, okay, so, yeah. I, like, all the ISIS, <laughs> like, the footage from ISIS that's like, why are they all in these, like, used Toyotas busting across... This section of Syria, it's because the military <laughs> had bought Toyotas as Hiluxes, like new ones. They're like it's just like a sweet Tacoma or something, you know. It's just like rigged up yeah. to to ride around out in the desert. It's probably a great truck for it. But that's and that's why we should beat ISIS is to get all of their sweet trucks. <laughs> we we need all their sweet <laughs> Toyotas back. <laughs> no, that was a big. That was like a gag in the news for a while, because uh, like all the the footage from from whatever was going on would show these people, but they were like next to these like old like old pickups like yours with with like with like a gun mounted mounted in the back. Like the yeah, Warthog okay. from yeah, Halo. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you think about like all that, all that crazy stuff. But that, I think that was all like the the Hilux stuff that Toyota would sell. Like Forerunners out of the country, they're called Surfs. Really? Yeah. Way cooler name to kind of call a Forerunner, a Surf. I'm not gonna buy yeah, a I mean, Surf. Yeah, I mean the is kind of redundant. Like, I mean, no matter what you have, it's got. It's got four, <laughs> yeah, it's four like well, something. I mean, we expected it would it would have four wheels or it's a big <laughs> yeah. truck. I guess it should have four-wheel drive or whatever whatever it's insinuating but but yeah out, out of the country it was called the surf i've seen a few of them pass by like you'd see them out there you'd be driving around and people are real proud of it especially in the overland scene or that like that backwoods scene man people get oh, real yeah. proud of their their rigs that they have set up but um but we saw one that was like this diesel surf 
that this guy had imported. I don't know what the rules are on that either. I, I think yeah. If it's I think if the if the guy's a US citizen, I think it couldn't happen. But I think if you're in Canada, you can you can have you can have one registered and then drive it into the United States. I think that's where we see a lot of those vehicles. Well, we need to make some buddies in Canada. See? <laughs> if we need that, man, I need I need a diesel 90s forerunner. I don't know, like I need Good another for arm. commuting. Good for commuting. <laughs> well, have you seen like the the Mitsubishi Delica? That's another Uh-oh. that's another sought after rig. Yeah, it's blowing my mind here. Yeah, the Mitsub it's a it's another car that wasn't that wasn't built in the United States, right? But it's for well, it's become really popular in like that van life uh that okay. van life culture where people, you know, like I pretty much like what we were doing in the Camry 6 years ago. But uh-huh. uh but <laughs> funding it relatively decently and they get like a van and like it's become really popular to get this mitsubishi delica they made it through the 80s it was sort of a competitor to the to the volkswagen line of vans that were out at that time that were kind of camping focused but this one was cool the delica was cool because it was a diesel van but it was four-wheel drive it was like this it was time when like mitsubishi was just making a bunch of four-wheel drive stuff probably like the colt vista yeah that's exactly what was just coming to my (laughs) mind if you don't know what a cult vista is and you're listening to this podcast go go look it up and uh that was that was your first car billy oh man it was the best car it was the best (laughs) it was the best car it was the worst car but it was really though it was the worst car (laughs) dude i bet if you had that now and just put a little bit of money into it somebody yeah somebody would pick that up Especially yeah, the man. Portland area. If I put some like, some studded tires on that and a roof rack. Oh yeah. An LED bar. <laughs> you want to talk about an attractive rig? Oh, <laughs> yeah, an LED gosh. bar, nice. <laughs> CB. Yeah, man. You remember that hatchback? It, would, it you could fit ten people in that car. Jeez. I think eight people. I think I, I did. I, I don't fit think that's people. what they approved it for. <laughs> no, I swear it was. I think it was seven people. It was what it was like rated for. Seven, yeah. It was it was wow. three rows of seats, Robert, in a compact. That's what soccer moms were driving around in 1983. Yeah, it was. It's nuts. Yeah, there was the front two seats, the back two seats that were like bucket seats too, and then behind that there was another bench seat for three. So you had one, two, three, four, five, oh, six, geez. seven, man. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Ah, oh, what a silly car. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it wasn't aesthetically great, but it was. Uh you know economy friendly that's that's for sure oh, man. <laughs> that thing was so oh, it was the worst car uh but, so not not an overland vehicle there i guess you could say and even still like man it was it had like 14 inch tires it was so yeah. silly. You, yeah no clearance to get over anything what a goof but hey you made it you made it happen with the camry though I, yeah i did man and i was going to mention that too because that i had a couple experiences in the camry uh-huh. you've always had a truck I guess outside of like the short time you had, you had a sedan for to commute and stuff. But you've always oh, yeah. had, uh, had like had a rig that could get some places, which I always appreciated. Mm-hmm. And I really noticed running into to a few limitations when I was in the Camry. I wanted to talk about those. It was great with the Camry because you you really benefit from the gas mileage, which man I would oh, take. Yeah. Because I mean, in most of a road trip, in some way, is like is highway miles. You know, you're out. You got to drive from here oh, to yeah. Wyoming. So you gotta you're... put a lot of distance in between you and where you're going. Yeah, and the and it, it, man, it works great having kind of a light, easy car to like just bomb out to somewhere. That works really well. Uh, mm-hmm. 
so I appreciated some of those parts, but man, we ran into a few spots where we just couldn't get through. And the one of the, the most upsetting ones to me was uh, the Sailing Stones. Have you heard of those before? Is that in Utah? It's in, it's in the Southwest. It's, it's near Death Valley in California, okay, yeah. I guess. And the Sailing Stones is a really cool spot. It was in Death Valley. It's, it's, like I, it's in the park area, but the park area is just so immense. It's, but it's, it's all desolate, almost nothing out there, you know? Mm. But you take this road. It cuts back for a really long way. And man, we were on that gravel road forever going back there. You have to go. It's it's kind of deep wilderness, you would almost call it. But it's like deep and desolate country out there. It's yeah. sort of well-traveled because there's there's people kind of moving in and out of the, the park system. But we were traveling there in December, I think, uh, you know, when we were moving, moving that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, like early December of 2012, I think, is when we were there. And when we were we were driving up just just on the gravel road, as it was, it said it was a it was a a gravel road the whole way there and this part of it it just kind of went up a little bit of a grade you know just the hill uh-huh. the, the slope of the of the road just kind of went up maybe 12 15 feet or so and then kind of rounded off leveled off and then kept going it seemed like almost nothing at all but my car was near like, like high centering on it basically like you could feel like <laughs> you could feel like the body like start scraping because the roll off of it was like it was just it was just yeah. steeper than than my car, like the angle of the car and the clearance I had could handle it, and I like I couldn't get there, and I'd wanted to go there all my life. Oh, I was so frustrated. <laughs> and we were like two miles or so. It was like two, three miles or something. Like, well, we didn't know that because you're like in backwood stuff, and it's like, like I'm not uh-huh. gonna park there and hike it or something. It would, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. And then somebody else rolls up in a vehicle that can handle it. And they're like, why is this Camry parked in the middle of the road? There was a there was like a a, a group of kids of like teenagers on little dirt bikes like little 200s and they were just like bouncing they just zoomed right past us <laughs> kept going but they just, they just had like a little a little bike and they cruised right over it it was nothing man yeah it's it was not it was you would it would be totally everything could get over that except for my car it's what except it like. the camera <laughs> so yeah no overland that day is what it, is what it was but that story really is what it ended up inspiring me to sell that Camry that winter and then like come back in and, and get a forerunner. Like when I got that, that 89 forerunner that I, that I had that was a while. good, that was a good truck. I like that. Rick. It was a good truck. It, I bet it was a better truck earlier, but man, it was a great truck for me. And I really had a great time doing stuff with it. It was super fun. Like, yeah, I do more camping stuff and that was really cool. But that, that was the first time that I had like that truck clearance, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it's just like a whole new world of opportunities are opened up to you when you, when you have that clearance, it's like, okay. And you got four-wheel drive, so you can get a little more daring with where you're going. And uh, even with that, though, I found that uh, now with my current truck, I don't have the winch on it yet. Oh, and um, yeah. and even that kind of uh, dictates to what I will and will not do uh, up in the hills, especially if there's not another rig with me. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed having that... Uh, that kind of that lifeline or that security, I guess, of having that winch that uh, I could get out of trouble if I really got myself into it. And, I think uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'd, I've never had a have a had a rig with a winch on it, but I really like that that you always did. That was cool. I I don't think we've ever used it together when we were out. Oh, I've used it on Tyler. Oh yeah, yeah. Pull him <laughs> out of that sandbank. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doing a rafting I, no, trip. I used it on myself Camry. a couple times. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You just get into a rough spot and you've got a tree or something you can tether off of and, and get yourself out of it. But 
I think that's pretty cool. I remember you telling me a little bit about that in the past, and it seems like it'd be pretty necessary if you wanted to do something more serious or more long term. If you're doing like an overland trip, or, or if you're doing some some truck stuff yeah. or some four by four stuff. Well, that's the thing. I'm not a big like uh, you know off roader. It's you know yeah, but, I'm not uh, but it's well, I mean off road in the sense of like let's go mud and rock climbing. Right. You know? yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not that. But I do like trying to get into places where typically the you know the road kind of ends or you know or somebody hasn't been back there in 30 years and there's still a roadway going i think it's I really cool explore it yeah i really yeah. like that part of it i really like getting to, to those different areas and, and you, you really get to to get through so much more land you know that way it's, i i've had it to be really cool you do especially oregon in the winter time uh you know this area gets so much rain and stuff it's hard to like you know when you're out there in the winter you're, you get to the end of the road and you're like oh, i don't really want backpack this in you know (laughs) i don't want to backpack it i want to stay in the rig as long as i can yeah yeah it's (laughs) that's definitely that's a huge part of it for me too and let's see i was trying to think about well yeah you should tell me about tell me about your pickup chuck your first one that you got in high school did you that was like an 80 with a straight axle right it was a 1980 straight axle toyota 4x4 uh long that was a great truck it still is a great truck it's currently sitting under a canopy right now it hasn't run in three or four years but um no i love that truck man i drove that from the time i was 15 until uh well four years ago yeah man that was a uh, that was a blast that was that was the coolest truck yeah no i have uh always loved that truck and that truck would go anywhere i mean the the really the only reason i i got out of it was just i needed something more reliable um yeah in fact it's last trip was the trip that Amber and I took down to Joshua Tree, and I put like, uh, you know, almost like four thousand miles on it. No way! And I remember that trip. That was yeah. that was pretty cool, man. Yeah, and uh, so that was a great trip to take it out on. Um, the harsh reality was, you know, at the time, gas in California was around five dollars a gallon. It was yeah, insane. Uh, I was getting about twelve miles to the gallon, <laughs> and uh, you know that was rough. You know, it didn't have AC. You know, that's just little stuff. Like, I mean, people have been getting along without it forever, but. No, it makes um, a big difference. So I've learned it a little bit too. I mean, like, like what we both learned a little bit in this last year, like having a newer truck, it just solves a lot of those stresses about transportation, man. Well, it does. And that's the thing is when you're committing to a trip like that, you need to know that your rig's going to be reliable. It's been a huge part for me too. You need to know it's going to start back up when you're ready to go and you're not. You're not yeah. 2,000 miles away from home. Going, Did I kill the battery? Okay, now I got to oh, tow no. my truck or something, yeah. you know? And the battery is not the problem. Oh, no, it's yeah. Just like, it's just like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, my transmission went out. Or like, uh, that part of it really just, sucks. you know, I blew a head gasket or something, you know? Like, I mean, that truck, when I took it, it had over 400,000 miles on it. And, wow. and so you're just going, uh boy, this is fun, but really, I just need to make sure I get it home. Like, yeah. You know, that was, yeah. that's what it came down to. Yeah, I feel like sometimes so. it's like driving a classic car around. Like, you know, yeah. it just doesn't run as well. It's maybe about as old. As it. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, so, yeah, and then I, 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 I got out from that, and I, uh, I bought myself a little 93, I guess it was, SR5 Toyota V6 pickup with little extended cab i liked having the extra room and that was a great little pickup too um 
it had that nice canopy with the roof racks on it. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I like that it canopy. Was sad in the to see it go. Yeah, it was too bad. Uh, I thought it was it's too soon, you know. But too soon. But I understand too. <laughs> I think it's but, uh, I think it's good to move on, or you know, it's good to you know, use it, use oh, what yeah. you can, and then yeah. I see it around town every now and then. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and so since I've gotten into a full size truck, which I, I I just wonder why I didn't do so much earlier. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's just uh, just having the room, uh, the reliability, uh, you know, just all the difference in the world yeah i think so too i was in your truck like when we were on when we were on that last trip in east yeah Oregon, we did and a it was podcast great. out of it yeah super clean like I, I dig being in there it's cool yeah it's uh it's far more comfortable than it used to be you know cramming into the little single cab and yeah having right. a manual transmission and trying to <laughs> get around <laughs> i remember that first trip we did in your and your old truck your, your uh your 80 yeah. pickup when we were what 16 and we were going to camp yeah. up at union creek yeah uh what is like what is that up in i guess it's central oregon i don't know what do you call that, uh, <laughs> that i don't know what you would call that it's up crater lake. lake area yeah it's not really central like national forest almost Ro- yeah it's rogue river national forest because it's the rogue that runs yeah. through that that's it is it. yeah yeah i think yeah it's uh that that area up there man that was such a cool trip but i had a great time but man I, like you're saying that we just there was like the three of us, right? <laughs> yeah, just packed in tight. Yeah, and I was the one that had to ride bitch in the center. As <laughs> you throw into third gear and then, was it four gears? Three gears? Uh, Yeah, it was four. I ended up putting the five-speed transmission in that. I remember that. that at the end, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was just that four-speed. You know, you get it out on, it was great in town and stuff. Then you get onto the freeway and you're just tacked out at like 65, you know, <laughs> and just... You know, semis are trying to pass you and yeah, all hey, that stuff. Sorry. <laughs> Not built to go that fast, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a sweet track, though, man. I really had a good time in that. But I, I remember that back in high school. That was fun, like making that road trip up to, to go camp and throwing everything in the back. Oh, but then yeah. everybody's just cramming, cramming into the bench seat there. <laughs> just how it used to work, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, a, little, a little more luxurious now with the with the space, I suppose. You can check out more information at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can go to BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman photo. I wanted to talk today about some stuff that I've been doing this last week. For the last few weeks, I've been talking about some outdoor stuff and some things kind of related to the the lockdown pandemic stuff. But I might kind of change, uh, change what I was talking about a little bit for this podcast. What I wanted to get into was uh, some of the training stuff I've been looking into around Logic Pro 10.5 that has uh, just come out recently. And I thought it'd be kind of, uh, kind of cool to go over a little bit of an overview of some of the new features and stuff that are there and, and some of the stuff that you can do with uh, a digital audio workstation and, uh, and why, why I'd bother talking about it. But I think it was about, about a year ago or so, 
I was talking about setting up the studio in the house that I'm at here and how I was getting a, a PC computer ready to go. It was an older one. It was, I think, like a, I don't know, something from some desktop I had around from, from 2010 or 11 or so. Yeah. Yeah, about that time. And I remember um, getting that computer set up with a, I think it was, yeah, it had like Windows 10 on it. And then I was using, I think, the same audio interface, USB out into the computer. And then I had downloaded, um, I had downloaded Sonar, the new version of Sonar that you can get for free. I think it had been owned by what was Cakewalk Sonar. And then I think Gibson had bought out Cakewalk. And so it became Gibson Sonar. And then I think Gibson decided that wasn't going to be part of their business anymore. And so I think they just kind of shut it down, essentially, but then sold that off to BandLab. And BandLab is, a, I think, a, well, I don't know, it's another internet company. They have kind of a simplified digital audio workstation app that you can use uh, to kind of create a demo or something like that. But what they had done is they'd, they'd gone through, I guess, and had purchased probably for a relatively inexpensive price, I, or I don't know, I assume, since they're just uh, they're just keeping it and kind of hardly maintaining it or you know, doing a bit to maintain it. Uh, but they took the, the Sonar Platinum program, the full digital audio workstation uh, multi-tracking tool, and they made it free for people to use and for people to get. Uh, but I think it's only a, a Windows-only program, so you got to have... Uh, got to have windows 10 to uh to run it so i did that yeah and uh and sonar was a program that i had worked with before uh for doing some some studio multi-tracking stuff i think years ago probably around like 2012 2013 when i was uh when i was working with some friends to set up uh some studio equipment stuff it was cool we had like a big uh, soundcraft ghost that was laid out and then we had a bunch of um, a bunch of channels kind of running into that from from the microphones that we were using to track this band. And then that all went into a pretty old computer. It was amazing what it could do, you know, for just a you know it was probably like a two gigabyte of RAM, you know, smaller hard drive, two thousand four, five, six era PC computer. No, I probably wouldn't even need that much, right? Just something about that time. But that's what we used. Yeah, that's like all we had. All we had with us. We had a, I think it was like a PreSonus. Um, audio interface and then we got like like an eight channel audio interface that was really cool you know we had like eight eight digital audio channels coming into the the interface which means we could track eight live channels into sonar at a time and uh, it didn't even hiccup you know even on that old machine and so uh, it was interesting how that, that architecture worked to do some editing stuff but uh, uh sonar is what i had been using before uh for some stuff really audition adobe audition is what i'd used most for some of this kind of the more simple uh radio broadcast style stuff and that's what i had learned to use when i was at um when i was at a radio station doing an internship years and years ago back in 2008 right summer of 2008 i did that and they used adobe audition version 1.5 to uh to do all of their uh radio production edits and uh yeah i remember i remember going in taking calls with the, the production guy i don't know somebody calling in to do like a I think they would do like a water level report it was really interesting radio at that station you know you could figure but uh, they would have like this uh, I don't know something like you know it's it's 1245 and here's your local water level report for July 28th or something and then it would be some lady that would call in um, from a department that would measure this stuff and she would give her water report and the production guy you'd record it and then produce that and then it'd be prepped to go out on air 
later, you know, it was like a spot that uh, a DJ would trigger upstairs. And so we would kind of walk through using Audition to do those steps. And so learning that as a program was probably the first one that I had done, um, which I don't know, probably goes back to high school or before that when I was doing editing stuff. But but Sonar, um, back to Sonar was uh, some of the stuff that I'd used probably a good bit more for the um, for the music, you know, like trying to like track a band or do like multi-tracking projects. But uh, um, so, yeah, that's what I'd used a bit. That's why I'd thrown on this Windows 10 PC to do some audio production stuff for this podcast workflow that I was uh, trying to get into. And uh, it's cool. It works really well. But uh, but I stopped using that computer a while ago. I think the uh, the, the Windows 10 computer that I'm talking about had uh, a power supply go bad, which could be replaced pretty easily and, and uh, is on a to-do list of mine. But since then, I've really just been relying on, kind of like I had mentioned, um, just recording, recording onto the device and then uh, using Adobe Audition to do the uh, post-production work on my MacBook, which uh, is, I don't know, it's just a, it's just a more... It's just a better workflow and stuff for the, for the most part. So I've been kind of sticking with that. But recently, to get to the point, as you are all excited, uh, Logic Pro 10.5 has come out. Now, Logic, as yet to be mentioned in this podcast, Logic Pro is the program that was produced by Apple as their professional digital audio workstation. And so there's GarageBand, which probably a lot of people have some experience with. And GarageBand is sort of the trimmed down, simplified um, home user version of a program like like Logic Pro. And, and they've done that intentionally. I think it's the same team that generates the two programs. And if you, if you look at them or you look at their interfaces and you look at their, the, the types of access that you have to things, you, you really do see a, a familiar similarity to it. Which is cool. Um, so if you've used something like GarageBand in the past for home projects, you, you won't really have as big of a, a, a difficulty moving into a more professional digital audio workstation environment like Logic Pro 10. So I think it was Logic Pro 10, just, you know, 10.0. It came out, well, I don't know, probably like 2013 or so. And I think that was uh, that was sold for 200 bucks. So it was like a, a purchase price of 199 And then since then, you get the point updates for free uh, or, you know, as included with your original purchase. Uh, so just recently, I think there had been like 10.4 before this, and then now they've moved on to 10.5. And 10.5, I think, is probably the biggest, uh, as noted by you know plenty of news sources, um, as noted as uh, as one of the most significant uh, feature updates that Logic has had probably in, in years and years. I mean, I think this is the first time that they've gone through and removed and updated some of those legacy items that have been in there since I don't know 2003 or four or five. You know, it was just some of these legacy products that were. Um, that were originally put in there, is including their interfaces too. It looks like a 2002 interface for, uh, for you know, like there's these synthesizer interfaces where there's these weird knobs that you have to, these weird just rotating features of the interface. It looks like, it looks ridiculous. I don't know how there were any other way to explain it, <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's pretty wild for some of the some of the stuff that's just remained in computer uh, computer systems for a long time. But for 10.5, they try to go through and update a lot of that stuff, um, and it's really uh, interesting. There's a lot of cool new features in Logic 10.5. So Logic is real similar to Sonar, which is, I guess, kind of why I mentioned it. And at least through my experience, it's similar. You guys would probably think it's similar to, I don't know what, people that are listening probably actually have some, well, <laughs> no one's listening. What am I saying? Um, if someone were to bother to try and find some information out about Logic and they ended up listening to this podcast, they'd probably have had some information about it or they would be coming from uh, 
from an experience with uh, Avid's Pro Tools. And uh, Pro Tools is like the industry standard for multi-tracking DAW software. And I've never used it. I've never opened Pro Tools. I've never seen Pro Tools, you know, in in its process at all. Um, I've, I don't know. I've got, looked at a couple of videos or something, but yeah, I have no, I have no experience working in Pro Tools. Um, and I don't know. I'm not a fan of, of Avid's software overall, you know, for Pro Tools uh, or for uh, or for the Avid system of, uh, of video editing stuff either. I'm just I'm not I'm not really uh, that interested in the, the kind of stuff that they put together. Um, and it, really for price and stuff too. It just seems kind of kind of over overdone a little bit. So uh, so I'm pretty happy with uh, with some of the other the other more available tools that are in the consumer computer market i mean i think it's like 800 bucks or something still to get uh to get avid's pro tools and i think that in the past it was just you know insanely more than that even well you know kind of proprietary back in the past it was more difficult now i think m audio is a partner with pro tools and so uh, in the past if you have pro tools you have a lot of proprietary pro tools audio interfaces that you had to use um, if you wanted to set up your studio to work seamlessly with the pro tools uh, software um, now I think they've made a deal with M Audio, which is um, sort of like a, a less expensive audio interface manufacturer. They've had like uh, interfaces and microphones, and uh, you know they, they've got like an array of. I think they've got like some studio monitors. They've got some interfaces. They've got uh, like keyboards is a big one that they've got. I've got a keyboard over here from M Audio. And what is it? Yeah, M Audio. They're less expensive. They make Pro Tools uh, interfaces, which is cool uh, now, so that they've got a partnership with Pro Tools. And I think that they've been trying to make that more accessible to musicians, probably because it's become a more competitive market with, um, well, really with like Logic, Logic Pro. I think I think the industry standard stuff is, uh, I don't know, it always seems like more secure than it should be. Or, you know, it doesn't it doesn't seem like an absolute that Pro Tools should be the uh, the digital audio workstation of of engineers across the world, but for whatever reason, it's just kind of taken over. And, and as those people, you know, are still still in those positions, I think that's uh, that's just what's taught in audio recording school. It's like a standard, uh, even though there's a lot of other good other good services and choices out there. I think I've seen Sonar and Logic taught a lot too. So I don't know. They're they're definitely competitive. And, and as I've been hearing more. There's, there's, I don't know, there's produce, you know, music producers that are coming out saying, oh yeah, I do a lot of, a lot of my work in, in Logic. And, and there's, you know, there's a whole class of music producers that are Logic based producers or Sonar based producers or, I don't know, it seems to kind of rotate around every couple of years for, for who's doing what or, you know, who wants to look cool. People that use Pro Tools want to look cool probably a lot of the time. Um, so back to, back to old uh, Logic Pro 10.5. Here's the good stuff. So. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other other outbound sources. Some, some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.